0: Thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you for the time of refreshing through song that Jesus, you are the overcomer. Father, though uh, Satan would try to spoil and to come against all that you're doing in and through our church, Lord, we know that you overcame and we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And our testimony is, God, that you are good. You are so good, so gracious. So compassionate, so slow to anger, and so abounding in love. So thank you for that. Father, bless our time in your word tonight, God. Thank you for the story of Esther. Thank you for letting us know that you're sovereign. You're always in control. There's nothing that takes you by surprise. You're orchestrating even the hearts of kings and presidents. And uh, Lord, that uh, we shouldn't fear because... Nothing is outside of your reach. Father, you are good. So bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been looking at the story of Esther and where we left off. Last week was really the, the, the watershed verse, if you would, for the book of Esther. That Esther 4.14, who knows if you've been made for such a time as this. yet? Uh, what does it say exactly? Um For if you remain completely silent, this is Mordecai speaking to Esther. He had asked her to go to the king uh, to speak against this edict that went forth from Haman to eradicate the Jews. And so Mordecai, the one who cared for Esther as she was raised, now says to her, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. I love that faith. He's not concerned that the Jews will be completely wiped out. He he, he believes in the promises of God above the edicts of man. But he goes on to say, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Showing that God has ordained specific things for all of our lives, Ephesians 2.10 would say the same thing that he's laid out good works for us to accomplish. Even before we were born, God has things planned for our lives for us to walk in. So Esther finally gets the message and she says, okay, let's fast for three days before I go to see the king. And so Mordecai does that. So we pick up now in chapter 5, verse 1, and the story will move rather quickly. It says, now it happened on the third day, three days of fasting, that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his, royal, on his throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. So the, the issue was, just so we're all clear, Esther couldn't just go in and talk to the king, even though she was the queen. She had to have permission from the king to enter into the king's presence without his permission was punishable by death even the queen and she hadn't seen him in 30 days it tells us back in chapter 4 there i don't know if the you know the romance had worn off the honeymoon was over some 5 years had passed since he actually married esther and so for some reason perhaps he was busy doing other things perhaps he was um upset with her she she hadn't been to see the king in 30 days and so she can't just stroll in so she prepares herself and she says come what may she knows that she's taking her life into her own hands so she goes and she puts on uh, her best um robes her royal robes and and she stood she stands inside the palace but just inside almost as far away as you can get and still be seen by the king. Almost almost as if sheepishly asking permission to enter. So verse 2, So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. So, the king sees Esther, he obviously still has feelings for her and still values her, and so he extends the scepter, he, he gives her permission to come into his presence, and she does the right thing, she walks up to the throne and places her hand on the scepter, I appreciate your leniency, I appreciate your allowing me to come into your presence, even she's a, a humble servant in this position, very different than Queen Vashti was, if you'll recall, And the king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. Ask what you want. So Esther answered, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly that we may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. This shows that Esther had some um, tact, had wisdom. She, she, she proposes that a, a private audience with Haman and the king. Now remember what she wants to do. Haman has made this edict to kill or to eradicate all the Jews, of which Esther and Mordecai are. And so rather than her, rather than her just going up to the throne and saying, this guy Haman in front of all the uh, you know at, uh, the the people of the court and and the people in the court, rather than making this a public thing, wants she wants to wisely make this a private affair to to have the ear of the king. So the king goes for it. Let's go. Let's go. I like to eat, you know. And so, verse six at the banquet of wine. What would a Persian banquet be without wine? Right. We saw what. I think it was 3,750 gallons a day of wine were given in the early Persian uh, empire uh, at the king's table. Um at the banquet of wine the king said to Esther, "What is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Esther babe, ask what you want. You know, he's he's given her license here. Whatever you need, tell me up to up to half my kingdom. You can, you know, Take the cards out. Go shopping. Do what you need. Whatever it is you want to do. You want half the kingdom. It's all yours. Then Esther said, My petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them tomorrow. Tomorrow. And I will do as the king has said. So, interesting tactic here. And I wonder exactly what the thought process was for Esther. She says she gets her moment. She gets her, her moment to the king. She's got Haman and the king there at this feast of wine. She has the opportunity to deliver the blow. Haman here has, has ordered the murder of 15 million of your subjects and she, he says, tell me what you want. And she prepares to say that, or she something happens, and she's, I don't know if she gets timid at the last moment. Um, if you would, just come to the party tomorrow. We'll, we'll do this again tomorrow, I'll tell you then. Or, if she wanted to make sure she had the heart of the king, to say... If he comes, if he's willing to, to take time away from the court tomorrow, then I'll know that my favor is with him, or his favor is with me, rather. I, I'm not sure what Esther's thinking was behind all of that. Now, what I am sure of is that this is God ordained, because what's going to happen in the next 24 hours are pivotal to our story. The, the, the things that are going on in the other part of the city. Uh, it's pivotal to what's what's going to happen and so God needs this 24 hours or uses this 24 hours to accomplish his purposes so whether Esther was timid and she kind of chickens out at the last minute or if she would just want to make sure she truly had the favor of the king doesn't much matter because in the 24 hours that she asks for much is accomplished by God So verse 9, so Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. He had a party with the queen and the king. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. And we talked about this last week. This is the definition of malice, right? This is Mordecai, or uh, Haman has everything he could ever want. He offers to pay for the eradication of the Jews. In today's money, about $191 million dollars. And, and he's, he has everything that he could want. The people are bowing to him. He has the signet ring of the king. He's the second most powerful man in the kingdom. And this one, the, it's the, the princess and the pea. You remember that story, right? She stacks up all kinds of mattresses to try to get a better night's sleep. And there's one little pea in the bottom mattress and that, it disturbs her sleep all night long. That's Haman. He's the princess and the pea. He's, he's disturbed by this one little thing that Mordecai won't bow to him. He's having a great day. I had lunch with the king and the queen, just me. And as he's walking home, there's Mordecai, who won't bow to him. And it upsets him to no end. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself. He doesn't take action. And went home, and he sent and called for his friend, friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told of his great riches. <laughs> Let me just talk about my money. It'll help me feel better. Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Let me just reread my resume to help me feel better. Moreover, Haman said, besides all this, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow we're doing the same thing. And tomorrow I'm invited, again invited by her, along with the king. My life should be good, is what he's saying. Yet, all this avails me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. All this is so wonderful. My life is so perfect. except this one. And we do that, don't we? One little thing goes wrong in our lives, and we lose sight of all the blessings God has given us. I do it. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made, 50 cubits high, 75 feet. And in the morning suggested the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. Hey, I think, you know, Zeresh says, Noah would look nice in the front lawn. Everybody else is doing pink flamingos or concrete geese. How about we build a gallows? And, and not just a little one, 75 feet. A gallows, a place where a hanging would happen. Now, we talked about this last week. The, the Persians didn't hang people the way we think of it. They were impaling people. That's the way, that was their death of choice. So it could have been this, just one long, tall pole with a point on it. I, I, I don't know exactly what it would have looked like. But Haman's like, oh, babe, that's why I married you. You just you know the right things to say. He's got you know you're so sweet. Yeah, let's do that. Let's make the gallows. That would that would make me feel. I'll go to the king and we'll request that that Mordecai be hung on the gallows, and I'll have lunch with him. That sounds really nice. That night, the king could not sleep. Interesting. Interesting. God in His ordination, He 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 has. Lunch with the queen, and, and, and the queen says, Give me 24 more hours. And it just so happens that particular night, the king could not sleep. You want to change a king's heart? Just give him insomnia for a night. That's how easy it is for God. I'll just keep him from sleeping tonight. No problem. So, one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles. And they, and they were read before the king. So he cannot sleep, and so he says, hey, go give me the history of Persia, because that will put me to sleep, right? You know, just read me what happened day after day after day. And I'll... But it's interesting that he asked for that. He could have asked for anything else, right? Go, go fix me a warm glass of milk. Jo- go draw me a warm bath. Um, go get the minstrels to play me music while I fall asleep. He could have asked for anything, but no, he asks that the chronicles be read. And so the guy goes and gets, you know, one volume, just grabs one off the shelf. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Big Fauna and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay, kings, or lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So it just so happens the guy who's going to read picks the one volume where the story is told of Mordecai watching out for the king. You recall back in chapter 3, I think it is, that these two guys, Big Fan and um, Teresh, made a plan to kill the king. Mordecai heard of it. He tells Esther. Esther tells the king. The king looks into it, and he's like, oh yeah, they were attempting to kill me. And so he, he in essence, saves the king's life. The, the, the Persians record everything, so it's written down, and, and it just so happens that's the volume that, that King Ahasuerus is reading tonight. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Well, nothing has been done for him. Well, now It's unusual. Because Persians loved to make sure that loyalty was well taken care of. Because if, if people saw that people who were loyal were treated well, then everyone would want to be loyal, right? Makes sense. And so the Persian government, the Persian kings, would make sure that those who were loyal were well taken care of. And as everything is, recon- or is, is chronicled, they look to see, well, how was Mordecai taken care of? And they read, and well, well nothing's been done. So the king said, who's in the court? So after reading all night long, uh, the early shift is working their way in and clocking in in the morning. Well, who's in the court? Maybe I I need to do something about this. Now, interestingly enough, Haman. (laughs) Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. So he spends all afternoon having the gallows prepared. He goes to sleep early, he's like, I'm going to get up early tomorrow before the court gets busy. I'll go in, talk to the king, and I can do that. I'm one of his advisors, and I'll, I'll get his ear before he gets busy. That way I can get what I want. So as he's strolling in there early in the morning, you know, it's going to be a good day. I'm eating with the king and queen. I'm going to get my one nemesis taken care of. The pea is going to be removed from the mattress. Life is going to be good. Amen, there. Interesting. Uh, five. Then the king's servant said to him, Haman, uh, Haman is there standing in the court. Well, look at that. Haman's there. And the king said, Let him come in. Let's, let's figure out what we can do. The king thinking, What we can do for Mordecai. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall we have done for the man whom the king delights to honor? What an interesting question. He's not specific in any way, shape, or form. He just says, hey, how how should we honor somebody that we we need to honor? Watch what Haman does. Now, Haman thought in his heart, who would the king delight to honor more than me? (laughs) Well, since I'm here early this morning, uh, you must be talking about me. We always look to ourselves first. So he, he, he builds it up. He's like, oh man, we're going to do this right. We're gonna, this is going to be good. Um, how about this, king? For, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn. <laughs> Put him in one of your robes. And, and a horse which the king has ridden, which a, uh, has a royal crest placed on its head. Make it look good. Then let the royal robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of the one, uh, the king's most noble princes, and that, and that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. You get your top guy, king, and you get him with the robe and the horse, and you take him and you go to that man, and and you, sh- you do this upright. Then after that, parade him on horseback through the city square. Let everybody know and proclaim before him. This prince will pr- proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman's like, oh man, I'm getting lunch and all this, right? He's, he's like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> and the king said to Haman, hurry, you do it. Take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so <laughs> for Mordecai, the Jew, <laughs> who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone in all that you have spoken. Right, I I owe to see Haman's face. For what? Do what? Oh man, that would be so good. Here, sir, here's your jaw. Did you drop it? Well, you can't can't ignore the king. Even, even if your, your dreams are dashed in that moment, Haman, you, you got to do what he said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed <laughs> Mordecai. I wonder if he threw it at him. It a stinking robe There's a stinking horse. Let him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. <sighs> I wonder what... And then the other question is, what was Mordecai thinking? You know, he's sitting in the king's gate, eating an apple that morning, and uh, and Haman comes up with a robe and a horse. (laughs) You know, uh, they're not friends. They both know it. You know, it's just like, uh, what's going on here, you know? Here, put this on. (laughs) Get on the horse. (laughs) As he's sitting on the horse, (laughs) he's got to be thinking, this is... Yeah, justice. Probably one of the greatest stories of justice there is, right? I mean, just it's beautiful. So he rides around the city. Imagine that he probably went by Haman's house. Haman, what'd you build there? What's what's uh, what's that? What, what? nothing? Leave it. In... <laughs> Shut up. Afterwards, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house. I gotta get this. Talk to somebody. Morning with his head covered. That's how upset he was. The, when Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, But you will surely fall before him. They look at the events of the day, and they go, this is an omen. If this is the way the day's turning out, Don't even bother going to ask the king for his life, because it ain't going to go good for you. Haman doesn't listen. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. So while they're trying to spin this in a a positive way for Haman, the, the, the people show up, hey, it's time for lunch. Oh boy. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king, asked, uh, king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. He, he's trying to be as reassuring as he possibly can. Esther, whatever you want. Now, up to half the kingdom, that's just an expression. But It's the idea, whatever you want, what, tell me what you need. He's laying it open. Then Queen Esther answered and said, if I found favor in your sight, O king, listen to the humility, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me at my petition. I'm asking for my life here. I'm asking for my life and my people at my request. And not just me, but for the life of my people. For we, notice she incorporates herself, uh, The Mordecai's turned the light on in her, in her mind to say you're not going to survive this edict and so she she lumps herself in for we have been sold my people and i to be destroyed to be killed and to be annihilated save our lives king move on our behalf she goes on to say had we been sold as male and female slaves i would have held my tongue although the king could never compensate for the king's loss. If this was just a matter of us being sold to somebody else, the, king, the queen says, I would have never said anything. Although if you lose 15 million people, that takes a, a hit in your paycheck every week, king. But if that's all it was, I wouldn't be asking, but, but I'm asking for our lives here. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to the queen, Queen Esther, who is he? And where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? So Ahasuerus, Xerxes here is getting agitated. Who, who on my earth, so he thinks, would dare suggest that the queen would die? See, she does have the favor of the king. Who, who, who would do this? And Esther has played her hand perfectly, by God's ordination. And Esther said, the adversary and the enemy, and she, is this wicked man Haman? Is this wicked Haman? So, Haman was terrified before the king and queen. (laughs) Doesn't finish lunch, doesn't, probably loses his lunch. At about that point. Now, I'm not big into um, the message behind the message of the Bible. I think reading it at face value is plenty enough, but it, it is interesting to note there are, there are four different spots throughout the book of Esther that the acrostic, uh, or that um, the word Yahweh, or the YHWH, um, that is abbreviated uh, for the name of God can be found at four different times in four different spots here um, in in the way that the language is portrayed, each of the first letters of the certain phrases point to the word Yahweh. Um, an example is um, in five four. It says, "Let the king and Haman come today." If you take that back to the original language, each of the letters is Y H W H. So, though the name of God is not ever actually given, you can find it. Another interesting thing to note, and, and I've, this is something that Joe Foch brought forward, when she says in verse 6, and Esther said the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. They ascribe numerical value to each of the words given in order to, they did that in order to maintain the scripting uh, to make sure that when, as you transcribed as a scribe, that each word, each letter, each mark was exactly where it was supposed to be. And so they had, when you laid out a page of of the Old Testament, um, you you could say, "All right, what is the, on the twelfth line, the sixth word should be the word the. And you would check it, and there it is, okay? So they would ascribe numerical value to each of the words. Well, when she says this wicked Haman, the numerical value of that is 666. Something interesting. So take it or leave it. There you go. Spent too long explaining it anyway. So she, she wisely plays her cards. Well, who is this that would do this? This wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. So verse seven, then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. I need to go think for a minute. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. You think? <laughs> she, he's like, I'm going to die today, is what he's thinking at this point. And so he's, the, queen, the king goes out, and he, he turns to the queen, please do something, save my life. <laughs> yeah, right. When the king returned, from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Now, <laughs> then, the queen, queen, then the king said, will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house? <laughs> so he, he, he's like, all right, I think I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and talk to Haman. And as he walks out, the, Haman is now laying across the couch trying to get to Queen Esther. or He's begging her, but that's not the way it appears. He's trying to, it appears as though he's trying to assault her. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face, put a sack over his head. Now, Harbana, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf. It is standing in the house of Haman. So the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. <laughs> So the eunuch, Harbana, hey, hey, evidently they could see it from the court, right? Hey, look what Haman prepared it for us. It hasn't been used before. Let's test it out. The king's like, that's a good idea. And the king's wrath subsided, and he sits down and has a date with his queen at the banquet, I would suppose. I don't know that for sure. So. Uh, chapter 8, on that day King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. So think about that for a minute. He hangs Haman on it, uh, on the gallows, and then as a, an offering of peace, a, an apology, because probably while he's out in the court, he recognizes his part in all of this, right? Haman went to the king to make sure he had permission to get rid of these people, and the king never asks the proper questions. Well, who, who are you talking about, Haman? Who, who is it that you want to eradicate? How many people are we talking about here? He, the king never asks that. He just trusts Haman mistakenly. And so as he, perhaps he's standing now in the garden, he thinks, man, I, I blew this. I, I made a mess of this. And so after he takes care of Haman, he has a, a peace offering perhaps. He offers the house of Haman, to Queen Esther. Take everything he has. It's all yours. Now think about that. He was willing to pay $191 million to wipe out the Jews. That means he had plenty more than that because he wasn't going to run himself dry to do that. And so now he gives that as a gift to his queen. Now we're going to find out here shortly. Haman had sons, Haman had children. He had a wife. They lose all of that. Right? He takes that from them. No no more does Haman's children have an inheritance. It's given to the queen. Not only does he take care of Queen Esther, but it says, And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So now the story comes out of how she is a Jewish woman and how Mordecai was the one who had raised her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai, and Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. So Mordecai gets the the position of Haman, he gets the signet ring, the one, in other words, we're going to find out at the end of the book that he had been raised to second in power. The only person more powerful than Mordecai was King Ahasuerus. And 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 then Esther says, hey, let's set you up in a good place to live. How about Haman's place, right? The poetic justice, it's just beautiful. Uh, So now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. So though Haman has been taken care of, remember that the Persian law cannot be revoked, So the edict to kill 15 million Jews is still valid, is still active, that nothing has been done about that yet. Haman, the one who proposed it, has been killed, but in in, in a a short amount of time, something like about a year, 15 million people are going to die. And so now the queen says, what are we going to do? How can we resolve this issue? Um... And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadeth of the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Then King Ahasuerus said to the queen and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews.' you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring for whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring no one can revoke so he essentially gives them carte blanche to say okay do whatever you guys think is best since this was against you to begin with you handle this in the way that you I can't revoke the law the law has gone forward That's what he's saying. There's nothing I can do to stop this, but you do whatever you can in order to try to thwart this in any way, whatever you think best. He sees now the wisdom of Mordecai and, and the favor of God upon him, and so he says, you do what you think is best. I'll put my stamp of approval on it. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, The edict was in the twelfth month. It was to go forward in the twelfth month, so we're talking about nine months now before it was supposed to go down, as it was written, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces, from India to Ethiopia, one hundred and twenty-seven provinces, is all in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote, in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by the couriers on horseback, riding on royal ho- horses, bred from swift steeds. So the Pony Express goes out, they write the edict, and in fact, they kind of had the Pony Express back in that day. They, that's kind of where the United States got the idea for the Pony Express, was from the Persian Empire. They would, on their roads, even though the roads weren't as good as the Roman roads uh, they still had roads, especially throughout the 127 provinces, on which they would set up a, um, a, a small stable every 14 miles, because and, and, they knew that's about as far as you could ride a horse at full out speed before the horse dropped dead. And so they would, they would, if they had a message from the king that was to go forward, they would jump on the best of the horses and they would ride that horse till it just about died. They would show up at a stable, they'd put that horse down, they'd grab another horse and continue on. And that way they could keep it moving. And, and so they write out this command, this edict. Mordecai gives them what to say and, and they get it sent out. By these letters, the kings permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions on one day in all the provinces of, of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So do you understand? This is what they They said, On this particular day, the day that the edict was to go out that they were going to kill all the Jews, they now have, the Jewish people now have permission to defend themselves. From the king, they have been given permission to take lethal force, if necessary, to defend themselves, even to the point of killing women and children. And they were given permission then to go beyond that and to take their plunder, to take everything that, if they gained spoil because they killed people, the Jewish people In defending themselves, if they gained spoil, they could keep it. And so that was the edict that went forth. They were allowed to defend themselves on this particular day. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all the people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. "...the couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan the citadel." So even where they are, the word went out. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in the royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad." That's pretty cool. Think about, if you'll recall, when the edict went out to eradicate the Jews... The city of Shushan was a mess. They were all distraught. They were all upset. It wasn't just the Jews. The Jews throughout all the provinces were upset. But it said specifically that the people of Shushan were upset because this edict had gone out to get rid of the Jews. So now Mordecai comes out of the king's palace. He's got the royal robes on, the blue and the white and the purple. He's wearing a crown. And and the edict is written and, and it makes everybody glad. The Jews, had light, uh, the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Their lives had been spared. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. So God uses this even to draw people unto himself, as he always does. All, thing works, all things work together for the good, Right? And, and, and so, this, in, in fact, we're going to see this set up as it's going to become a feast. It's called the Feast of Purim. They still celebrate today. So they're, they're excited that this edict had gone out, that they're permitted to defend themselves, and the permission is given from the king. So consider that for just a moment. I think, you know, if I were one who were, I'm going to uphold this edict that was given to eradicate the Jews, and then something came out of that, Or another edict came after that to say the king has said that the Jews can defend themselves. Well, I'm not sure I want to uphold the other, the first edict. If, If the king has given them permission to defend themselves, then something must have changed in the king's heart. You can kind of read between the lines to say, oh, something has happened here. And though he couldn't revoke the law, he did everything in his power to say, no, they can defend themselves. And so great many people become Jews and because of the fear of the Jews that fell upon them. They're, they're going to rise up with one heartbeat. It's interesting, and I, I wish I could remember who said this. I'm sure it might have been Mark Twain or Benjamin Franklin, or I've heard several different quotes about the, the Jewish people, but it was a, it's an interesting quote to say, the, the Jewish people have attended the funerals of every group of people that have tried to rise up and kill them. The Jewish people have attended the funeral of everybody that has rise, risen up to try to ex- exterminate them. From the time of Haman to the time of Hitler. Every, everybody that's ever come against, you know, uh, Herod, um, Pharaoh, right? Everybody that, that's tried to rise up against the Jewish people, which is the plan of Satan. Satan wanted to eradicate the Jewish people so that Messiah could not be born. Everybody that has raised up, the Jewish people, have attended the funeral of those, those people. So, the day is coming. So chapter 9, how are we doing on time? Alright, we're good. Now in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, and on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. And on the day... Uh, that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. So people still did try to hold the first decree to eradicate the Jews, but the Jews were successful in overpowering them. Verse 2, the Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could withstand them because fear fell on them, on all the people. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Mordecai is now second in command. They know he's Jewish, and so they're, now they've got the entire government working on behalf of the Jewish people. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. God's favor was upon him, just like Joseph. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies, with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. And in Shushan, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Verse 7 has a bunch of names. Um, verse 7 and 8, it's the 10, if you go down to 10, the 10 sons of Haman, the sons of Hamadeth. These 10 guys uh, had you know, wanted to honor their father's name, I suppose. They were still upset that they didn't get the house of Haman, so they tried to kill them. Uh, but they, they were in the 500 that were defeated. Um, it says they killed them, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. You hear that? They did not lay a hand on the plunder. They weren't interested in getting rich off of this. This was truly self-defense. They just wanted to protect their people. So they don't, they're not out to get rich off of it. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan the citadel was brought to the king. He gets a report. And the king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the citadel and, ten sons of Haman, and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? What's the word coming back? Now, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. Or what is your further request? It shall be done. Are, Esther, are you satisfied? Is, is that enough? Have we, have we done everything that we could to stop this from happening? Esther wisely says, I, I, I don't think we're done. In verse 13, then Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews who are in Shushan to do again tomorrow according to today's decree and let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows. So the gallows are still up. Let's still use them. To ta- they're already dead 10 sons, but let's do this again tomorrow just to make sure that we have everybody that was trying to rise up against the Jewish people. So the king commanded this to be done. Okay, the king's like, okay. Then uh, the decree was issued in Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And the Jews who were in Shushan gathered together again on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and killed three hundred men at Shushan. But they did not lay a hand on the plunder. Killed uh, half again as much, or more than half again as much. Another three hundred men. The remainder of the Jews in the king's provinces gathered together and protected their lives, and they had rest from their enemies. They killed seventy five thousand of their enemies. But they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This was all self-defense. This was the 13th day of the month of Adar. And on the 14th of the month, they rested and made a day of feasting and gladness. So in the city of Shushan, they, they defend themselves for two on the 14th day. But the Jews on the, uh, of the month, they rested. So they, they rested on the 15th and made it a day of feasting and gladness. It was a celebration. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and for sending presents to one another. So this was such a joyous time that they they sent gifts to one another. And Mordecai wrote of these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far, who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. This should become a, a regular thing, is what they're saying. As the days of which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them, and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun, as Mordecai had written to them, because Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemies of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them, and had cast Purr, that is, the lot to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot, which Haman had devised against the Jews, should be returned on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. So they set up a holiday on the 13th and the 14th month, or days of Adar, and, and it was to be a perpetual thing. They were to continue it. Continue it. So they called these days Purim, after the name Pur, which means the casting of the lot. They, they cast a lot to determine the days that day that they were going to die. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them, that without fail, they should celebrate these two days every year, according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time "...that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim." So they send out a letter to say it's going to be a, a continual holiday. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim at their appointed time, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them and as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book, in the last three verses. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea, Now all the acts of his power and his might and and the account of the greatness of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitudes of his brethren, seeking the good of all of, of his people and speaking peace to all his countrymen. Mordecai is raised to second in command. Um, and it's believed, and this isn't fully verified, but that it was under the council of Mordecai that King Ahasuerus imposed tribute. That, that would have been a relatively new concept to gain income from taxes rather than from battle. The way kingdoms would earn their money prior to this was they would go out and they would conquer a people. They would take all their money. They would make their, their people slave labor, and that's how they would get richer and richer. And it was Mordecai's idea, we can maintain peace if we take the 127 provinces that you already have and just take a portion of their income. So that's where we get this idea from. So, but it was from the idea that they would have peace within the kingdom. So... So the festival of Purim was uh, created in the, in this story, and uh, like I said, it is something that is still celebrated today. Uh, you can Google pictures of Purim, and uh, and it's a lot like Halloween. Um, they, they, uh, Damian Kyle was saying that you know it, they've been over there a couple times during the Feast of Purim, and all the kids get dressed up, and you know you see kids dressed like Transformers and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Esther and you know, and, and so they all get dressed up, and they um, they have a special uh, cookie that they make for the festival, um, and it's, a, it's like a folded over thing that has either dates or fruit in the center of it or chocolate in the center of it, but they call them Haman's ears, and everybody gets to eat Haman's ears during the festival of Purim, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of this, you know, they... They read through the, the book of Esther. If you were to read, sit down and read the book of Esther straight from you know, chapter 1 all the way through, it takes about 45 minutes. So the, on the two days of the festival, and in fact they do it three days now, they start on the, on the 13th and they go through to the 15th, but um, the, on, the, on the first two days, they, the, the first time they read through Esther, everybody gathers, gathers together and they just read it. On the second day, uh, it's a little more festive and the people participate. And remember, I had you guys when we started reading about Haman last week, I was like, you guys can boo, it's okay. Well, they do that. I didn't know they did that when I said that, but they like, you know, every time Mordecai's name is mentioned, they cheer. And every time Haman's name is mentioned, they boo and they hiss. And and it's a little more dramatic on the second day, but it's something that they still celebrate today. Um, When. When Russia uh, proclaimed, that when Russia was still Russia, the, U- the Soviet Union, rather, they uh, proclaimed that they were going to come against the Jewish uh, or against Israel. Somebody was asked, "Well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen when when Russia or the, the Soviet Union comes against Israel?" And their response was, "Well, we'll probably get a festival out of it, you know, because every time anybody comes against the Jewish people, you know, we got Passover, we got." the, the um, uh, Pentecost, the, the, the Feast of Purim. You know, it's all the times that people have tried to come against the Jewish people. So, great story. Great story. The book of Esther. Reminding us that even when we fail to recognize God, As the people, the Jewish people in Babylon or in in Persia did, his hand is still strong. And his plan is never thwarted. And he is always at work. And there is his timing is perfect. There's so many great truths that we can glean from the story of Esther about the character and nature of our God that we can find strength in, and we can find hope in. And with our, our, our problems and our issues, we can turn to Him and say, God, I don't know how... How are you going to reverse what appears to be this law? And God has a way. And God has a plan. And we can trust in that. Amen. Amen. So next week, we'll pick, we'll pick back up, in, or we'll begin the book of Nehemiah. We went from Ezra to Esther because Esther happens inside the timeline of the book of Ezra. So now we'll go back and, and continue on with Nehemiah, which is where Ezra left off. So we'll pick that up. Nehemiah is a great book, a uh, great leadership book. I'm um, talking about how Nehemiah rallies and gathers the people and it's a it's a it'd be a good book for us to study so all right let's stand let's close in prayer and then we'll sing i love you lord thank you lord for your grace and your mercy thank you for your sovereign hand upon us lord thank you for your your watch care over us lord and that you never fall you never um your no no plan of yours never is is never accomplished or your your plans are always accomplished that's what i'm trying to say And Father, You love us, and You're good to us. You're a good Father. So when it doesn't appear that way, help us not to trust in our senses or in our experiences, but help us to fully rely on the promises of God. Your Word says, Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You command us to trust in you and to lean not on our own understanding. So Father, thank you for those times when we get to do that. And we give you each day, Lord. I pray, Father, that we as a congregation would just surrender our hearts to you to say, have your way with us, O Lord. Whatever will bring you the most glory is what we want to see. Lord, as we sing, I love you. May we sing in spirit and in truth. May we walk in what we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.